0: Courtney, Ricky, thank you. Wonderful truth. Anybody here know where that truth is found in the Scripture? It's Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? The whole world can be against me. But if God is for me, I'm going to make it. Turn to the person on your right and say, you're going to make it. I don't care what they say, you're going to make it. If God is for us, who could be against us? I'm happy to be back with you this morning, Joni and I are, for this last Sunday in the ministry year at the great Garden City Chapel. What a great day it is. It is a great day, and it's been a great summer and a great ministry year here at the Garden City Chapel. I'm from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and we... uh, have been partnering here with the chapel for 50 years. We started our high school retreat conference here 40 years ago. I was part of that first conference that came here 40 years ago in the spring. And uh, we've been coming here 40 years uh, since. And uh, we'll be back here. We were back here in uh, March for our state high school retreat. And we'll be back here again in uh, November for our state middle school retreat, so FCA is very, very, very grateful for the Garden City Chapel, and I don't want you to think, folks, that because Garden City Chapel is now 71 years old, she needs a pacemaker, okay? Because she doesn't. She's still going strong and reaching and discipling and growing kids and adults, in the kingdom of God, for our Savior Jesus Christ. And we're grateful, grateful, grateful. And I appreciate uh, your support for the Garden City Chapel. If you brought a copy of God's Word, and I hope you did, turn to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter. Put your finger and your eyeball on verse 16. We'll go through the end of the chapter and the end of the book through verse 20. This morning, a message entitled, Famous Last... Words. You know, gang, last words are very important. In fact, last words are probably more important than first words. Do you remember your first words? No, they were probably something along the lines of mama, dada, or maybe ball, (laughs) ball or car or cat. You don't remember much about your first words. It's last words that are the most important. Western Union, an internal memo sent in 1876, spoke some famous last words when they said, This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Western Union in 1876. Deco Recording Company, in rejecting the Beatles in 1962, spoke some famous last words when they said, we don't like the sound and guitar music is on the way out. Orville Wright, of Wright Brothers' fame, Spoke some famous last words in 1905 when he said, No flying machine will ever fly from New York to Paris. And the explorer stated some famous last words when he said, So you're a cannibal. And the rookie husband spoke some famous last words when he said, That dress makes you look fat. Famous last words. Last words are the most important words. I want us to look this morning for a few minutes at Jesus' last words before He ascended. Jesus' last words to His disciples and the disciples who would come after Him by extension, the church before he ascended in Matthew chapter 28. Before I do that, this. It's annual church council time at First Church, and everybody is a little on edge. It's exactly 7 p.m. the second week in December, and Chairman Steve calls the meeting to order. Let's quiet down, folks, he says. And nothing causes more consternation than this meeting of the congregation. As a leader, Steve is uneasy about the whole process. Only the annual budget meeting causes more disagreement and debate than this program planning meeting. Who wants to go first, said Chairman Steve. This ought to be easy, said Ben Faithful, a deacon who'd been a member for 36 years. Last year was a good year. Why don't we just continue doing what we've always done? I believe the tried and true is always best. I'm sure, I sure don't agree, piped up Bob Newman. Times have changed, and I think we ought to reevaluate everything we're doing. Just because a program worked in the past doesn't mean it's automatically going to work in the future. I'm interested in starting a new worship service with a different style. We've always seen the growth that Calvary Church has had since they started a contemporary service to reach out to the unchurched. Yes, some churches will do anything to get a crowd, said Ben. They forget who the church is for, it's for us Christians. We're supposed to be different and separate from the world. We're not to pander to whatever the world wants. I sure don't intend to see that happen here at First Church. And over the next two and a half hours, on and on and on they went back and forth as member after member made suggestions for things that should be included in the church calendar. Karen Dewar postially Passionately insisted that First Church take on a more active role in Operation Rescue and the pro-life movement. John Manley gave a stirring testimony about how promise keepers and men's ministry had changed his life. Charlie devoted, opined. That prayer chains were the only thing that would save the church. Linda Loving spoke of the need to develop various support groups. And Bob Lerner made his usual pitch to start a Christian school. And of course, Jerry Moneypenny kept asking, How much is it going to cost? We don't have the money for that. Now gang, They were all valid suggestions, but there didn't seem to be any standard of reference by which the council could evaluate and decide what program should be adopted and what should be excluded. Finally, Clark Reasoner spoke up, and everybody was waiting for this. Whenever things became confused at business meetings. Clark would usually make a short speech and a majority would vote his way. It wasn't that his ideas were better. In fact, people often disagreed with him. But the sheer sheer force of his personality made whatever he said seem sensible at the time. Now, what's the problem in this scenario of the church, the mission Perhaps the retreat. Well, it's that multiple driving forces in the church are competing for attention. This results in conflict. And everybody going off in several different directions at the same time. The key question is, what is the driving force? Behind the church and by extension it could be what is the driving force behind your life? What is it? What should it be? You look up the word drive in the dictionary and you'll find to guide, to control, to direct. You drive a car. You drive a nail. You drive a golf ball. Well, I crook a golf ball. But most people drive a golf ball. Every drive, every life, every church is driven by something. A guiding force, a controlling assumption, a driving conviction behind everything that happens. It may be unspoken. It may be unknown to many. Most likely it's never been officially voted on, but it's there influencing every aspect of the church's life, of a business's life, of a person's life. You know, many computer systems these days that have multiple terminals have what is called a driver. It's a main control post where the real energy, the memory, and hard drive information is stored for access at the the many terminals, the mainframe, where every decision is filtered for inclusion or elimination. The question before the house this morning is, listen up, what is the church's driver? What should it be? Before I give you the correct answer from Jesus' last words, let me give you some wrong church drivers. You might jot these down. Write down some wrong church drivers. Or by by extension, some wrong life drivers. If you want to figure out your driver, your why, determine your why. Why the church? Why your life? First wrong church drivers, one is the history-driven church or the tradition-driven church, where the operative question is, we've never done it that way before. The goal is to perpetuate the past. Change is always seen as negative, and stagnation is misinterpreted as stability. Often churches tend to be bound together by rules and regulations and rituals, while younger churches tend to be bound together by a sense of purpose and mission. In some churches, in some missions, tradition can be such a driving force that everything else, even God's truth, becomes secondary. The famous last words of the tradition-driven church are, we've never done it that way before. Second, the personality-driven church. The personality-driven church. The most important question here is, what does the leader want? It could be the pastor if he served a church for a long time, or some key layperson if the church or mission can't decide what it's going to be. The problem is the agenda of the church is determined more by the background and needs and insecurities of some leader than by God's will or His call upon the church. Another problem in the personality-driven church comes is that the church comes to a standstill when its driving personality leaves or dies. Third, the finance-driven church. Where the operative question is, how much will it cost? And nothing seems to be as important as the budget and meeting the budget and paying the debt. The most heated debate in the finance-driven church is over the budget. Now, good stewardship and cash flow are essential to a healthy mission, a healthy church, But finances must never be the controlling issue. The issue is what does God want us to do? The issue is not how much did we save, but who was saved? The finance-driven church for the program-driven church. And they want to know how can we keep it going? How can we maintain the program? The Sunday school program, the, the women's program, the men's program, the choir program, the youth program. And the focus is not on creating. It's on maintaining and sustaining. And a subtle shift occurs from developing people to filling positions. And watch out. Here comes a nominating committee program-driven church. Five, there's the policy-driven church, and we want to know what do the Constitution and bylaws say. And six, there's the event-driven church, and they want to know how many nights did you spend down at the church last week. And the code word is busy. Turn to the person on your left and say, busy, 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 busy. Busy. Going down to the church and having another meeting. You get the impression that the goal of the church is to keep people busy with one event after another and one is completed and you start another and you never ask. What is the purpose? And attendance becomes the sole measurement of the mission or the retreat. Or the church. Seven, the facilities driven church, and they want to know have you seen our buildings? Or we just don't have the space. Now, you can't strap the church with too much mortgage, the ministry suffers. But you also can't strap the church by allowing the smallest of the buildings to set the limit for future growth but they won't move or build because they're historic and they sacrifice reaching their community or you can't run a ministry because you're worried about messing up the carpet. And then there's the market-driven church or the seeker-driven church. That is, what do the unchurched want? And the needs of the unchurched become the driving force Again, we've got to be sensitive to the needs of seekers and their interest, and in design evangelistic services that tar- their, target their needs. But we can't allow seekers to drive the ministry of the t- of the church. We must be seeker sensitive, but not seeker driven. And then finally, there's the member driven church the member-driven retreat or ministry or mission, and I've been here for 198,000 years. And what do my kids want? And what do my kids need? And that ministry just does not fit for my teenager. These, gang, are the wrong ministry Drivers. They are the wrong mission drivers. They are the wrong church drivers. They are the wrong personal life drivers. What is a right church driver? Well, I'm glad we got to it, Dennis. Jot down in your notes, the right church driver is the mission-driven church notice i did not say and it is intentional missions driven church i said the mission driven church that is the church or the retreat or the ministry or the life the coach the football player the teacher the doctor the lawyer the indian chief that is driven by the cause, the mission, the purpose. Now, with all of that set up, and it took me a little while, I want you to look at Jesus' famous last words. Matthew 28. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. The Scripture says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And watch this. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end. Of the age. And then <laughs> he vanished into the sky like George Jetson. I don't know. <laughs> Some kind of superpower pack or whatever. But <laughs> he left. But before he left, his famous last words go and make. Disciples. And then he said, Behold, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, gang, I wonder when he comes again. You know Jesus is coming again. Nod your head if you know Jesus is coming again. All right, nod your head if you're just still awake, okay? Nod your head. Jesus is coming again. And I know, I just, I just I just got in my heart that when He comes again, somehow, Russell, His His first words when He comes again are going to be something about His last words when He when He departed. Folks, I just think it's going to be something similar to how'd you do with the mission. How'd you do with the mission? I don't think it's going to be how much money did you make? (laughs) I don't think it's going to be how'd you love your wife? Although that might be the second question. (laughs) The second statement. I don't think it's going to be how much chicken did you sell? (laughs) All you Chick-fil-A people with all due respect, all right? think going be. <laughs> How'd you do with the mission? When Dr. Rick and Sue Ellen, my mother and father, they've been gone now 40 years. They died in a car wreck when I was 17. When I was 10, 11, and 12, my dad was a small town doctor, graduate of the University of North Carolina. Thank you very much. Sorry, Gamecocks. All right. My dad was a small town doctor in Dillon, South Carolina. He and my mother would go out occasionally. My sisters and I would stay home. They'd go out to a Saturday night supper club. They didn't go out much. A small town surgeon, my dad worked all the time, all the time, all the time. Occasionally they'd go out. And my mama and dad would give me some instructions before they went out a Saturday night. You know, take your shower, get your clothes ready for church in the morning. They'd give me some Last words, some famous last words. And you know when they got back, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock or something, the first thing they would ask my sister Shannon who was in charge when they went out would be something relative to the last thing they said before they left the house. I think somehow it's going to be like that with Jesus. These famous last words are so important. So important. All the Gospel writers heard it. Now they heard it in a different way. But they all heard it. And they all recorded it. Mark 16, 15. Mark heard it. He said, You are to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. Luke heard it in Luke 24:47 Luke writes with my authority take this message of repentance to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem and here it is there is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me John heard it John 20:21 20, as the father has sent me Jesus said I am sending you why was He sent to reconcile people to God, to connect people to God, to be the bridge to God, to seek and to save the lost? Why are we here to do what He did? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Luke in the book of Acts heard it. Acts 1.8 eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Even the Apostle Paul heard it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul cries out, We believers, the church, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading calling out within us, be reconciled to God. Oh, gang, we must recapture our desire to remain focused on the main thing, for the mission, for the retreat, for the church, for your life. I mean, what is the church's point you young people, turn to your neighbor, person on your right, and say, What's the point in this church? Millbrook. Where's Millbrook? Where are the kids from Millbrook? My brother-in-law is a pastor in Aiken, South Carolina. Millbrook Church. What, what is the point? What is the church's point? Write this down bold and quick and straight and true. The church gang was established to make disciples for there to be more disciples of Jesus Christ, for there to be more people following Jesus in a growing way. So what then is the church's power? Write this down. I call it the church's power point. What is the power behind this mission, this driver of the church? When a group of people sincerely organizes around that purpose, God shows up. Let's say that together. When a group of people sincerely organizes around that purpose, God shows up. So why, gang, (laughs) why is the church today so devoid of power? I mean, the early church, they're raising people from the dead, healing the sick. The church today, we can hardly get out of bed on Sunday. Why are we so devoid of the power? Look at the last part of Matthew 28.20. Stay with me. Almost finished. Man, that went quick. Matthew 28.20, Jesus said, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, we want to quote that. Didn't we quote that. Oh, God is always with me. He's always with me. I've been through this car and direct. i got this cancer. But God is always with me. We take it so out of context. What is the context, folks, for that promise of power? Go, therefore, and make disciples. The famous last words to Christians, to the church. To the disciples. Could it be, gang, that we don't experience his power like, listen to me, Gracie, we don't experience his power like lo, I'm with you always, because we don't fulfill his mission. Go therefore and make disciples. So you raise money if you want. God bless you. You go ahead and establish the program and the men's ministry and the women's ministry. You go ahead and feed people and help people. But if you want God's power with you in a way that you've never experienced it before as an individual or as a church, a youth group, you make this your mainframe. You make this your driver. Go and make disciples. As I conclude, gang, the tragedy is every church or mission ever organized started off with that purpose and then drifted. Every church. And the church got institutional and started worrying about how we're going to pay for it. And how we're going to maintain it. In a survey from the American Study for Church Growth, members in a thousand churches were surveyed. And do you know 89% of the people said the church's main purpose was to take care of me and my family's needs. Only 11% of church members said the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. It's interesting. Pastors were surveyed in the same survey. A thousand pastors, a thousand churches. And do you know, 90% of the pastors said the purpose of the church was to win the world for Christ, and only 10% said the purpose of the church was to meet the needs of its members. That's why the pastor and the chairman of deacons fight like the Gamecocks and the Tar Heels. That's why. While America today is the fifth largest non-Christian nation in the world, with 265 million lost people. Two-thirds of the people around you in Aiken, South Carolina or Garden City, two out of every three do not know Christ, and one out of every three don't even know that they don't know Christ. They've never heard the gospel in a saving way, and I would say to you, beloved Garden City Chapel and our special friends, they're not hearing it from us. I don't say it, I don't write it, but I'm gonna say it for shock space, shock sake. Omg. Oh, my God. When Jesus gave the mission, go and make disciples. What we got to do, gang, what you got to do with your personal life, you say, Rick and Bagger, I can't apply any of this. Again, this ain't for me. So personal. In our mission for the Christian life. Maybe you need to reevaluate your own life. Why? If you're a believer. Maybe you need to reevaluate your own groups. Why? If you're a Christian organization. Maybe you need to apply it for your church or your ministry or your mission. Why? What is the per? Are we just we just having a meeting? Why do we exist? Why do I exist? Jesus promises you His power when you get on mission with Him. Everybody got it? If you got it, say got it. Good. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.